The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. Uh, Matt Keo's not here today. Uh, it's his father's birthday, so he wasn't able to join us. But thankfully, we've got a special guest today, uh, Mr. Tony Acuto. Tony, how's it going? How are you, Larry? It's good to be uh, with you. It's been nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. I was going to say, it's been a while since back uh, back in the park day when I coached uh, Stefano, I think way back then. Yeah. How many uh, years is that? Let's, oh, let's well, let's see. St- uh, Stefano just had a birth. Oh, no, there was Antonio that just had a birthday. But uh, Stefano, I think Stefano it was back- is, uh, he, he has a birthday uh, the 28th of the month. Oh, OK, oh, yeah. so it, wow. It's I think the last time I coached him, Stefano was in fifth, fourth grade, fifth grade. Oh, Jesus. Oh, uh, he's 24 years old. Now. I was going to say many, quite a while. many, many moons oh, ago. Well, time flies. Oh, I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, it's definitely good to see you. And and you've been keeping busy. I know you're you will talk about the soccer days, the refereeing, the playing, the coaching. But uh, tell us, tell us your latest. Uh, you've been doing Italian gold. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that's something that actually I've done for um, I started back in 1984. Uh, I graduated from college with a degree in communications and broadcasting. And I started working in uh, radio in 1984, and um, I worked at the station, and then there was also an Italian radio program, which um, I started co-hosting, and I did that for literally, uh, I think, almost 20 years. And then because, you know, my boys were getting a little bit older, and they were playing soccer, and they were doing all kinds of things, there was only so many hours in a day, so I stopped. And actually, I stopped doing a uh, radio for 17 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, two years ago, I got a phone call from uh, WEBR radio asking if I would be interested in going back on the air. And now that the kids are older and they have their own lives, I have a little more time on my hands. So I said, yeah. So I started up again uh, doing radio. It's uh, on Sundays from 10 until 12 o'clock. And uh it's a program that uh, it's, we play music, uh, information. We interview people once in a while, and it's in Italian. The music is all Italian, but we speak. Uh, I'll do it bilingual simply because not everybody speaks Italian. Um, and um, it's been uh, very successful. Of course, radio from the last time I was on is a lot more. Uh, it's a lot different. Back in the days, only the people that we were within the reach of the signal was able to uh, tune in. Now I get phone calls from Portugal and Brazil and Germany and Italy because being that we're able to um, stream online. So it's, it's pretty exciting and it opens up a whole new world. No, that's fantastic. Now, um, just like what's been the difference? I mean, a 17 year layoff, that's been pretty in, in whatever it is, whether it's sports, whether it's a career, that's a pretty significant time. 
What's the, uh, I guess, the biggest change, even just doing the actual show that you've noticed? I mean, going and sitting in front of a microphone, as you know, it's it's the same, whether you did it 20 years ago or today. But the technological aspect of it is a lot different. Back in the days when I used to do it, I would show up at the station with 45s and 33, the vinyl records. Oh, absolutely. Set tapes, CDs, and uh, sometimes even a tracks. Well, we don't use uh, <laughs> vinyl anymore. Cassette players are nowhere to be found. Uh, we use CDs once in a while. And uh, so from that standpoint, that's what's really different. Uh, and uh, the technology, of course, is, is quite different because before there was nothing like a computer in a studio. Now it's all digital and all computers and stuff like that. So from that standpoint, it's a lot easier. But, you know, some of us are a little bit older. Uh, technology scares us. <laughs> you're you're preaching to the choir there it's funny uh i was i i teach phys ed and um in some of my classes the other day i was like you know uh i was telling about cds cd collections that i had and the kids are looking to like coach what do you mean a cd what's a cd like why you you mean you just didn't download the music but like listen back in our day we didn't we didn't have downloads downloads meant buying it at the store oh yeah no it's it's uh that that's that's really huge uh, again just a quick story. Sunday, I went to the radio station to do uh, my show, as I always do. And um, I had a phone call from the program director prior to the show saying that the one of the PCs that I use my I, I you know, I have all my music library was not working because they had a power outage and it knocked everything out of commission. So he says, you're going to have to bring in your CDs just in case we can't get it going. I go, oh, no. So thank God that I did prepare to do it that way. And I, uh, I kept a, uh, uh, the, the, the music, I had a catalog with the music, what CD, otherwise it would have been a problem because now I can just go on a computer and just click and play. It's not like that with the CD. So it's a little bit more difficult. So from, uh, yeah, that's, but it's interesting. So. Absolutely. It keeps you on your toes for sure. Yeah, no, Definitely. Well, that's definitely great. We got uh, and what you said, it's Sundays from uh, 10 to 12. Yeah, su- Sundays from 12 noon. It's on WEBR 1440 AM. And uh, we stream online at WEBRradio.com. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, Tony, we got you in here uh, for your soccer expertise, especially with the uh, World Cup coming up soon. Well, Usually coming up in the summer, but a little later this year, uh, November. I forget what's the later yeah, date. Is it November? November, November 21st uh, to December 18th, uh, simply because of the weather. And yeah. It's going to be 150 degrees. There's no way they could do it in the summer. And uh, this is the first time ever that uh, it, it's going to be uh, hosted by an Arab country. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It's definitely exciting for sure. And, um, I don't know about you. I'm, I, I love World Cup time. I mean, soccer's as you know, my big sport. Like I said, I coached uh, Stefano. I forget. Did I ever coach Antonio or was he was he too old? Was he out of that group by the time I got there? I don't think I coached Antonio. I know uh, I, I know I, I've been around him. I know I've have. seen him play. You might have uh, you might have maybe a year. But yeah, but uh, uh, four years apart. So. Absolutely. Uh, two two yeah. very good players in their own right. Yeah, they were um, good. They enjoyed it. 
Absolutely. But uh, I, I love World Cup time. I really do. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just so much fun. Um, I've mentioned this on the couple times in the show. I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll root for the U.S., but if I have to, I'm, I'm going with Italy. I'm going with Italy. Well, and let's uh, they're once again, they're struggling to qualify. Well, they, you know, first of all, last summer, they had an incredible European championship. Absolutely. That none of us expected uh, them to do as well as they did, but they did, you know, uh, uh, to, to win a tournament, whether it's the world cup or the uh, European championships, uh, it, it's a whole month long. You play eight, nine games over the course of a tournament. So you can get lucky in a game or two, but to play that many games, if you don't have, if you're not, if you don't have a good team, you will not get lucky every game. And they proved that they were able to, uh, to sustain, uh, you know, all the games and, and how they played and they played very well at the end. I think they were a very deserving team and they, they won the championship. They were doing very well in the qualifiers for the world cup. And then a missed penalty kick against Switzerland. Yep. Had they won, had they scored, uh, we wouldn't be talking about them having a game no, on we, November 24th, or not November, March 24th, which is next Thursday, against North Macedonia. And then if they win that game, I think they're going to play against the winner of uh, the winner of Turkey and uh, is it Portugal? Uh, Portugal or? with, yeah. uh, Portugal with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. So, you know, all bets are off. Of course, I'm rooting for Italy as, you know, as you, one could expect, but uh, it's going to be very trying moments uh, coming up for us. Oh, for sure. And especially, uh, I mean, with them not qualifying for the last World Cup, you know, uh, it was it was like you said, it was fantastic to watch them in the Euro Cup, the European Championship um, again. You know, the optimist, the optimist in me thought that they would have a, a good showing in that tournament. Didn't I'll be honest. I didn't think they were going to win, but, um, you know, they they got hot. They kept rolling. They kept rolling, played very well soccer and or very good soccer. And then, like you said, qualifying was going great to start and just slowly but surely seemed to tail off. And then um, their, their, their biggest problem they have right now, I believe, I believe, is uh, the fact that they don't have. Um, a guy they could just you can count on to score goals. Yeah, uh, they're very well put together from the back uh, forward, but when you get to the forward line, it's really inconsistency that's really plagued them. Uh, good goaltending, great defense, w- very well organized in midfield, but the offense. And now it's even worse simply because uh, Federico Chiesa who was one of their superstars. He is. He's probably uh, one of the best forwards in Italy and around the world. Uh, tore an ACL, and he's out. Now, he's a young guy who, when he gets the ball, you know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to go north. He's going to go north. He's going forward with the ball. And he attacks, and he takes people one-on-one, and he creates chances uh, for other people because they have to keep an eye on him. Now he's out. So who picks that up? Actually, today I was reading the Italian newspaper and they were talking about uh, they might be bringing back Mario Bellatelli. 
which really you know, he has. Yeah, yeah. He's he's actually kind of apparently reformed a little bit. His, yeah, his but how, but how many times have we heard that? Though? Yeah. Well, his promise is between his ears. He's been uh, he's he's a very talented player, very you know big, strong, fast. Uh, but he just uh, he's an emotional player and he allows people to get under his skin. People know that. And he does stupid things and hurts the team. So he's been out. Uh, he was playing in, in France. Then he went. I don't know where he went. He went back to Italy, uh, but he played for a lower division team. And now he's been playing in Turkey and he's been doing very well. And the coach. Uh, has suggested that he might bring him up. Actually, the last uh, get-together that the national team had, which was a couple of months ago, he was there, uh, and he trained with them. So we'll find out. I think on Friday, uh, the uh, the coach will uh, reveal who the players that he's going to call uh, call up. So we'll find out. But th- that's Italy's biggest problem is uh, the ability to have a consistent goal scorer. And, you know, you're either – you either uh, it's not something you, you know, you can't teach how to score goals. You're either born with it or you don't. And and Italy just doesn't have uh, that player right now that you could count on outside of case. And of course he's out. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be too cocky, but I'm not, I'm not all that worried about uh, the game against North, uh, North Macedonia or, or, but uh I'm worried. I'm worried that they're going to get into the, the 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 final game against Portugal, and they have Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo, and we don't. You know, I I, I think Italy's a a better balanced team than Portugal, but like you said, Portugal's got that that goal scorer. Portugal's got Ronaldo who can take over a game, whereas you know Italy Italy doesn't anymore. Yeah, and you know Ronaldo. He hasn't really had that great of a season. You know, he was in Italy. He started there. Then he went to Manchester United. But last week, he scored three goals. So even though he, at his advanced age, he still is a guy that you cannot let up. You can't, like, forget about him because he's going to burn you. So, you know, when you have that weapon, even if just having it, it, it causes the defense to be on their toes. And, it, you know, if you pay too much attention to them, it's going to open up space for somebody else. And that's where the problem lies. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm looking forward to the game because it's it's nerve wracking. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I, I hate to see Italy not after having such a, a great run for the European uh, championship, not get in again. You know, I I, I have been part in my lifetime, I've seen Italy raise the cup twice in 1982 and in 2006. Um, in uh, 94, was it? no, in 98, when the World Cup was here, I went to see Italy play against Ireland in uh, Giant Stadium. Oh. And of course, we lost the game one, nothing. But that's the year that Italy got to the final. Yeah. In Pasadena, they went to uh, uh, penalty kicks against Brazil. And of course we lost on um, PK. So <laughs> I, I listen, I, I, I hate PKs. I, I I'm sure you've had the same thing, whether as a player, whether as a coach, um, yeah. you, 
even when you win a game on PK, I mean, sure, you, you, you enjoy the victory, but part of you is kind of, at least for me, part of me is like, you know, I, I, it, it would have been better to, 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 to win them with an actual goal as opposed to a PK. Um, we, not- and it's, it's, it's a tough way to lose. It's a tough way. Oh, it's to heartbreaking. Lose. Heartbreaking. You know, you, you, you're out there for 90 minutes and then you play another, you know, uh, 20 minutes, uh, and, and, and nobody scores and, you, and then you go to, uh, PKs and it's awful. Listen, I, uh, I've been at the receiving end of both. I won games in PKs. And uh, I remember in Cleveland when I was in college in a tournament, six P, uh, six overtimes, because we went to six overtimes and finally did the side because they didn't want, they wanted to PKs. It was really hot. And they finally decided the tournament director says, okay, it was a college. He says, we're going to go to PKs. And uh, I was the lucky guy to miss the penalty shot that and we lost a game so it's not fun and uh but that's the way they do it now no and and i think people people don't realize especially as a shooter everybody just sees okay you're 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 what is it uh 10 yards 12 yards away from the net you know you've got this giant net with just a goal it should be easy it should be an easy goal it's not as easy. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of pressure taking a PK. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, the, the, the pressure is the great equalizer in that whole thing because the goalie is not expected to stop. No. You know, the guy that's shooting, he is supposed to score. And that pressure, I think, equalizes everything. The fact that, you know, it's just one-on-one, big net and all that. But when that pressure is on, uh, it's tough. I mean, listen, uh, some of the biggest names in in, uh, in soccer have missed penalty shots at crucial times. You know, in in uh, Pasadena, when Italy lost, it was one of the greatest uh, soccer plays, Roberto Baggio. Yeah, I was going to say Baggio. He skied, skied and, it over and, the net. And, and, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, that guy scored goals. By the bunches, he was one of the guys that you could. We're talking about inconsistency in goal scores. That guy was one that was a consistent goal scorer. But at that moment, at that crucial time, uh, it just didn't work out. So it's it's tough, but uh, it's always fun to watch. We're like 250 days away from the World Cup. <laughs> so- I can't wait. I still think, and I and I, I love football. Big football fan, big uh, you know hockey fan. I yeah, still think in, in in all of the sports. Um, there's, there's just nothing like a world cup there. There really uh, isn't there. You know, they just, you know, just, uh, the pageantry and the fact that it's a world event yeah, is uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that can match it. And, uh, uh, like I said, I'm happy that I was able to go to a game now in, uh, let's see it, when, when's, uh, in 2026, it'll be closer to us because it'll be, USA, Mexico, and Canada, we're going to be hosting it. I was going to say. So, you know, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And maybe there will be one close by where we could go and watch. And uh, that'll be be exciting. Like I said, we went, when Italy lost to to Ireland, that stadium, Giants Stadium, there was over 80,000 people in that stadium. And uh, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. So it's something I actually, I still in my office, I have the, the ticket 
from that game, I put it in a frame and uh, it was pretty, uh, it was an exciting thing. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping uh, the next world cup after this one, um, we either get somewhere where it's local, like New York city, uh, Philadelphia, close by, or Boston, even or Boston, yeah. or even on the on the Canadian side, even if it's in Toronto, which is only an hour, two hour drive, um, yeah. for sure. And and even for me, I mean, I would love to see an Italy or a U.S. game, but I mean, even just to see any game, two random countries, I mean, it would be just to be in the stadium for a World Cup game is definitely a a, a bucket there's list nothing, item. There's not nothing like it. I mean, I, again, I only went to one game, but I don't think I'll ever experience anything like that again no absolutely at least until the next time he comes <laughs> yeah um now you talked about your playing days in college like what got you into soccer do you remember what got you even just as a kid um like when you started what got you involved in the sport well you know as you know i was born in italy and mm-hmm. in italy you know soccer was the only sport we really played i came here at a young age so um, you know, we didn't have, you know, I come from a small town in Italy. It's, so we didn't have like leagues or anything like that. It was just primarily just, you know, we just have pick up and play soccer. So that was the thing. When I came over here, um, I started playing, uh, me and my brother started playing with the Germania Soccer Club um, back in the day. And when I came here at that time, you could probably count the number of programs uh, on your hands there weren't that many teams like they were uh, there are now back in those days you probably you had more of the ethnic groups so germania were the germans um the buffalo italia of course italians uh, white eagles were the polish group um the black stars were all from you know uh from like african uh, and stuff like that they they had their team and they used to play a ub rotary field when there used to be a field there i mean that was yeah. a long time ago uh macedonia uh they had and then i think they have the yugoslavians so there were th- those were the teams that played on uh, what is now the bdsl there were junior teams were very little there were no actually kenmore back in the day had a, a club kenmore did have it back in i'm talking about the 70s okay but yeah, Kenmore always had it, but, you know, it was um, Buffalo Soccer Club, Germania, Kenmore, those teams. There weren't that many teams. So when we came here, uh, you know, it was slim pickings as far as playing. So we played with Germania, and, uh, of course, uh, one of the biggest names in soccer at the time here, a guy that really did tons for soccer, was uh, Al Odenbach. And he was our coach. And now there's uh, the Buffalo and Western New York Junior Soccer League. Every summer, they run a co- uh, uh, a tournament. Odenbach tournament. They call the Oden- Odenbach Cup. And he was our coach. And uh, he, was a, he was a great guy. He was from Germany. He was an old policeman from Germany. And he came over here. And uh, my dad used to work nights, so he couldn't take us to the game. So Mr. Odenbach would pick us up. At our, you know, at my house to for games and practice, and we be, we you know we became good friends, and to this day we're very good friends with uh, his son Bob. Uh, but that's how it started. But back then soccer wasn't that big. And then 
as time went on, we, I just continued playing soccer. Uh, me and my brothers, I played for uh, uh, Germania for seven years. And then I, I moved over to play with the Italians. Uh, I play there. I coach there. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's how, you know, we had some really good teams. Uh, we had some really great um, rivalries because we had good teams. The, Pol uh, the, uh, the Polish uh, club was good. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. So, and then of course, from there, uh, I started coaching and, you know, when you play, you can't play soccer anymore, you become a coach. So I, I coached yep. at uh, Italia and I also coached with uh, the West Seneca soccer club. And um, I ended a few years ago coaching here in uh, Lancaster. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, um, even just playing, uh, you know, from your childhood in Italy, uh, playing over in the States, um, and even just being around pretty much uh, the, the sport lifelong, um, I guess, what would you say, like, the biggest difference from the, uh, from the European style of playing to the, uh, to the American style, if you will? Like, what, what would you say is, like, the biggest, uh, the biggest differences? Well, you know, back then when I first started, one of the biggest difference was the fact that, you know, soccer was all, it was a new sport and the coaches really were not up to speed and the kids were not up to speed. You know, it was baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you know, soccer was an afterthought. It, it's not the case anymore, but back then, so from a technical standpoint, you could tell the difference, you know, that where the kids that the European kids knew how to play as a team, uh, ball control, you know, the, the basic skills, they had them where over here, uh, the guys that we had here, it was more, you know, brute strength, uh, you know, run kick and, you know, you know, kick and run type of deal. So that was the biggest difference. And of course, not having, the coaches with the background that they were brought up, you know, who's going to teach these kids. It's different now because, you know, uh, coaches, the coach now, a lot of them have played. So they know how to coach a team as opposed to just say, Oh, go out there and chase the ball down and put it in that big rectangular uh, thing. So that was the biggest difference is the, the, the technical aspects uh, of, uh, of the players. Oh yeah. And it, and it's funny, uh, like even, I mean, I, I grew up playing in, uh, in the nineties in high school, uh, blew out my knee. So I didn't get a chance to play in college, but, um, it's like big Italian family. I mean, uh, when we would have picnics, whether it's 4th of July, uh, over the summer, you know, we were, we were always at Fort Niagara playing, uh, you know, pickup games with the family, the cousins, um, some of the, uh, the uncles we'd get together on the field, you know, five on five, six on six, whatever we had, uh, we'd play. And um, it was funny. You always I, I grew up in Niagara Falls. So even playing uh, varsity soccer there, you knew the you knew when you had like an athlete as opposed to a soccer player. Like right. uh, for us, I mean, and I'm sure this was the same with you. I was kicking around a soccer ball, I think, when I was, you know, four or five, six years old. You know, right. it was it was just something you go to the backyard, you dribble, you touch, you do this, you do that. By the time you get into uh, the earlier days, like you said, there wasn't really that many travel teams, but there were there were a few and far between. But right. uh, you find a you find a travel team, you get the touches. Whereas uh, 
some of my teammates, it was, it was, all right, this guy's in shape. This guy's an athlete, but he's not a soccer player. He's trying. Right. He, he, he tries like hell to be a soccer player, but just not a soccer player. And I think, like you said, the, the coaching has been just tremendously different where before it was, you got a, you had a coach who was not only very limited in his knowledge, but he would only try to teach it or coach it one way. It was almost like he heard or he read, Oh, you've got to run this formation. You've got to run a, a, a two, five, three. So I'm running a two, five, three, even though I don't know exactly how it's supposed to be run, but I'm just going to set them up and hope for the best. Whereas, well, it, well, <laughs> Not to interrupt you, but when I first came here and I saw the high school and you think about the, the, you know, when you coach a team now and you look out and see what, what kind of formation you're going to use back in the days, there were two defenders. Okay. Back in the days, when you went to some of the high school, they had two defenders. Ooh. Yeah. And they had, uh, uh, they had uh, uh, a left wing, right wing, center forward, and two, they had a five forward, uh, five man forward line. What? And three midfielders. It was two, three, five. That's what it was. Two defenders, three midfielders, and five forwards. It said five, eight, ten. Yeah, 11. That's what, it, that's what, and I'm like, oh, you know, now you think about it. I go, holy smoke, how do we do that? But that's the way back in the days, that's how uh, they, they, they would line up because the coaches really, you know, didn't know. And um, I don't know. I don't know how they got that lineup, but. I, I could just see myself like at my next practice, if I set the kids up in five forwards, three, they would, they would laugh me off the field. Like they'd be like, oh, yeah. All right, co- coaches wing, finally right, left wing, right wing. Uh, inside left, inside right, center forward. Those were the forwards. And then you had three midfielder, left, center, and and two two defenders. It it really was when I I came in. I was you know I was obviously my brothers played high school soccer much you know before me because they were old, uh, older. But I would watch the game and you know at the time you really didn't think about it, but now you think about it. Holy mackerel! They had two defenders. So, so basically if your forwards get past the midfield, they're, they're going in on a five on five on two, five on three, but it was okay because everybody played that way. So it, it was just, it was, it was a bizarre, bizarre thing. And then, you know, if you think about it and now you have all these nice equipment, you know, just kind of just to show how old we are, uh, it was leather ball. Okay, the leather balls with those like uh, rectangular panels on them. Yep, the little and patches. It's not like the balls were waterproof or anything like that. So when it rained, those balls weighed a, a ton. Okay, and when you try to head ball, oh. I mean, you you have brain damage from those like, things. You're, you're knocking yourself out on a head ball back in those days. I remember. You know, in the shoes, the soccer shoes. You know, now you have these shoes that they're like a feather. Now over there you had, and we didn't have any color. the The color options was black and black. That's it. There were no yep. other color, and it was Adidas and Puma, nothing else. And the shin guards, up until not too long ago, I had shin guards because there was a one point that they actually 
uh, said that we had to wear shin guards. I'm not kidding you. The shin guards were like a foot in length and they were literally a half inch thick. It oh, was yeah. like a, it was like a cast. So, you know, things have changed <laughs> from back in those days. Oh yeah. And nowadays, even some of my players, it's like their, their, their shin guards are like, you know, maybe two, three inches big. If that, I mean, they're, they're super small. They're super, I mean, it's looks and and me, I was always, I was always the type of player. Like I, I played uh, center mid when I played um, personally, I liked a little bit of the, the beefier shin guard, just cause I, you know, if I'm going in for a 50, 50 ball, you know, wasn't giving you a whole lot of protection, but I felt right. like I felt a little bit more comfortable with that protection. Yeah. Nowadays, these shin guards, like man, I I, I feel like I would have broken broken a lot of legs, you know, going in for those balls. Well, you know, in in high school, um, and I don't know what happened to it, but there were supposed to be some guidelines um, about shin guards, what kind of shin guards you could wear. But one of the funny things, you know, refereeing college. Um, and I, I, I see this all the time is some of these kids, they get like, they literally cut out, like you mentioned, like a, a little piece of cardboard and they put it in a socks. And I said, I mean, why even waste? But it, it's like, that's, they literally put a piece of cardboard in their, in their, uh, or somebody that, they, well, the, these kids in high school are notorious for that. They forget things. And the one day I look at the kid and they go, dude, I go, what, what do you have there? He goes, oh, it's my shin guard. I go, let me see. And he pulls out a sock from as a shin guard because he forgot. <laughs> he forgot his shin guard. So I go, you got to go over there, borrow from somebody or something. But yeah, it's cool. Yeah, things have changed over the years. Uh, uh, you know, shirts, the equipment, uh, everything is used. The kids the one thing you got to say about the kids today is that they're a lot bigger, stronger, and faster than we were uh, more physical too, because, you know, I cringe sometimes when I, you know, being on the field and you're refereeing and you hear, you, you see these collisions, I go, Holy smokes. And, uh, and some of these kids, well, they're not kids, they're men, especially in college. And, you know, they're six, three, six, four and going in full speed. It's like, yeah, I go, I'm glad I played when I did because it's uh, it would be kind of uh, a little bit tougher these days. And that's one thing. And I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I've noticed, especially in the high school level, too, it's it's become I mean, you've got some of these kids who are, like you said, much faster, much stronger than we were. But at the same time, it seems like a lot of them are, are going in with more like reckless abandon. Like almost yeah. playing, almost playing uh, like a 50, 50 ball, almost like going in for a hockey check at times yeah. where uh, I've had kids where I've, I've had to be like, listen, uh, you can't do that. Like if you do that again, not only are you going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt that player. You're going to, I mean, y- you could be ending careers like that. You're, you're not yeah. throwing hip checks. No, no. Well, that that's true. And uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's, you know, these kids are very impressionable, some of them, and they watch, watch these guys on TV. And one of the worst things that I think that happens to the sport that really kind of cheapens it is all this diving and, 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 it, and, and some of these kids emulate these guys 
And uh, it's it's just not it's not good. It's not good for the sport. And when I referee, um, I, I really I'm, sometimes I'm a little bit more tougher on these guys. They go in with spikes up. Now, mind you, listen, I am not. I was not a choir boy when I played. OK, because if you talk to all these guys that I played and refereed me, they, they, they always say, oh, yeah, that's you with the two footed sliding tackle. You know, everything had its place. Uh, but, you know, that's not the way you want to play all the time. But, you know, sometimes it happens. It depends on the situation. But I think the worst thing that happens to the sport is this diving. To me, that is just uh, I, I, I can't tolerate that. Oh, especially uh, when it's so blatant. I mean, there's been times where you get into the professional levels, even the World Cup levels where, I mean, they come out, they take the guy off on a stretcher, you know, next thing you know, two minutes later, he's up warming and and, and ready to go back in the game. But like, there, there's just, or, no. or they'll look and see if the referee's looking. Oh, he's not looking. They bounce back up. There's no place for that. No, and, and, and you know, the thing is that, I blame the referees for that. I blame us, you know, and I say us uh, that, you know, referees, because we tolerate that. Now, I've gotten over the last few years, I have zero tolerance for diving. And in these guys in college, uh, you know, we, we referee, you know, Division One games. These guys, they know how to do it. And you have to have the the intestinal fortitude to call them out and uh, do it. Last year I did a a game in Pennsylvania and the kid dove. It was a clear dive. I was literally, um, I was inside the, it was inside the 18 and I was probably about seven yards behind him. The guy went in and he jumped over him. The forward jumped over him and he starts rolling around. Of course, I blew my whistle. Everybody thinks it's a PK. I go over there and I go, stand up. He goes, what do you mean? Stand up. He goes, you got a yellow card. He goes, for what? Simulation. He goes, simulation. I've never heard that before. I go, well, you did today. And the coach, of course, he asked me, he goes, I've been refing- I've been coaching for so many years and nobody's ever called that. I go, well, today's your first day, your lucky day. And I think that if more referees called it and when they see it, they called it. Now it's even, you know, with the, the, with this VAR, it's a lot simpler. Okay. Because That's they cool. can see it and they can go back and, and check things. But if they called it, I think that they would uh, eliminate a lot of those things because can you imagine if you got a yellow card for going in on a a hard tackle, which I'm all for, you know, Hey, it happens. You get a yellow card and then your second yellow is because you're stupid because you dove. How do you think the coach is going to feel about that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I had, I had one dive. I think I was, I was really early on, maybe 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there for a travel team. And, you know, I was, I I was out on the field. Like I said, I was definitely no choir boy, but uh, I uh, took a dive. I mean, I felt the tug on my shoulder. Didn't not enough to knock me down, but I went down, got the call. I remember my coach took me out like within a a minute, took me out, 
looked at me, said, you know, listen, you ever do a dive like that again, you will never play another minute on this game for me. And yeah. for me, it, it just set. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I see your point with referees, but I think coaches too, you know, oh, yeah. your pl- you know, your players, if you know your player is taking a dive or is trying to dive or notorious for it, you can get that out of him very quickly by taking away playing time. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, by them not doing anything about it, uh, then it, it just kind of reinforces that it's okay to do it. I mean, listen, uh, we watch, I watch these games. I watch the, the French league. I watch the Italian, I watch all this soccer and I watch Neymar, who's a talented player. And this guy, every time he gets touched, it's like somebody shot him with a, with a howitzer. I mean, it's embarrassing. It, it it's is. embarrassing. And I don't know how the, the referees allow it. And more so is the, the, the referee, the higher ups, that they don't demand that these guys make these calls. Yeah. And if they would do that, I'm telling you, it would eliminate it in, in really quick order. But until they do that, they're going to continue to do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, soccer players are, you know, what's the the reputation as divers? You know, I mean, that's it. That's simple as that. You know, you, you, you touch the guy in the foot and all of a sudden he grabs his face. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's embarrassing. It, and it's absolutely right. And like you said, it you make you make one or two, you set the precedence, you make a, two or three examples out of especially some higher profile guys. And I guarantee you it clears it up in very, very quick order. Yeah. No, that's true. Totally. I, I totally agree a hundred percent with that. So it's on us to do it. Oh, for sure. And coaches as well. Um, yep. Now, speaking of refereeing uh, and I know I did refereeing. I, I, I was a soccer ref, a high school ref for one year. Uh, I was my sophomore year in college. Um, right. And I did one year and that was about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did one year of refereeing and I was like, you know what? This is a little, this is a little payback for all the years as a player that I, uh, that I maybe gave it to some referees that I w- maybe a little too hard on some referees. So I did my, my, my year of refing, And then I was like, you know what? I'm getting into coaching, but that was your penance. That was, that was my penance. Uh, <laughs> what got you into refereeing and uh, what got you to do it for, for so long? Well, it's, uh, I never expected it because, you know, I was never one. I mean, the referees were all my friends. And to this day, they're my friends. The guys that refereed me when I used to play, I had a real good relationship with them because in, in uh, during the game, they knew the way I was and I was very competitive, hated to lose. And if I had to push the envelope to win, I would do that. But after the game, I was always very, <clears throat> we always had a good relationship. So after I graduated from high school, um, w- one of my old uh, high school teachers, uh, his name was Pat Kane. Pat Kane was the head of the Western New York uh, Soccer Association. And he was my high school teacher. So one day he asked me, he goes, hey, Tony, he goes, why don't you come and referee? He goes, you've done all the things that on a soccer field that these guys won't be able to get away with anything. And he goes, you've done all the <laughs> breaking of the laws. I said, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. And I, that was back in 1984. I started refereeing in 1984. And uh, 
I've been refer I I did staff for like a year or two, but basically since 1984, I started a refereeing high school. I did also the summer, but then I I stopped doing the summer because I was coaching, so I couldn't do that anymore. But high school and and uh, then after high school, after a few years that I was in a high school unit, I got into the college unit, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I really enjoy it. I, uh, I didn't think I would. Um, you have to kind of have um, a tough skin. Um, oh, for sure. Because, uh, you know, when you're not used to it, you know, people are going to be yelling at you. You know, you're, you can only be right 50% of the time. Because if I make a call for you, I'm great. If I, the other team is going to complain and vice versa. So after a while, you kind of, you know, grow throw a tough skin about it, but I really enjoy it. I enjoy the camaraderie that comes with, uh, you know, working with some other referees and uh, even, you know, you get to know some of the coaches, but, and then of course it keeps you close to the game. You know, I, I couldn't play anymore because, you know, you just reach a certain point where you just got to know when to hang them up. And then coaching became a little bit more difficult um, simply because society has become more difficult. And uh, so I started refereeing and, uh, you know, it keeps you close to the game. It keeps you uh, in decent shape. And last year I, I was in Europe for the whole month of August and I came back. Uh, at, uh, I started refereeing August 31st was my first game last year. And between that time and November 15th, I literally refereed 50 games. Ooh. Yeah, 50 games in, in like really August, September, October, like in uh, what, eight, 10 weeks. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So it's a lot of fun. And you get to see good soccer players. Uh, you get to go and referee some good programs. Um, and right now I've been doing a lot more college than high school simply because the college unit comes out or the college schedule comes out literally in the next month. So they kind of block out all the dates and the high school come, they don't, they don't release their schedule until Jan or uh, July. So, but I, I still enjoy it and I still can keep up with the play because I've always maintained that if I can't keep up with the play, I'm not going to referee anymore. I, Cause I think it's cheating the kids uh, it's cheating the coaches and you're kind of uh, cheating the rest of your uh, referee mates. So as long as I could still run, I'll, I'll keep doing it. I'm still enjoying it. So, um, and they pay pretty well too. So it's not the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it's funny. And we've, we've talked about this uh, with a couple uh, different coaches on the show that I've had where um I don't think people, especially in the developmental leagues, like in uh, in your younger travel and your modified, your junior varsity or your varsity levels at the high school, um, just how important uh, it is to have good referees during yeah. a game. Um, I mean, I remember uh, I, and I still coach at, at, at Kenmore, Ken East, but um, we've had some referees that have been very good. We've been, had some referees that, you know, uh, we've had a few referees that uh, they'll explain to the players, you know, why they made the call, uh, you know, right or wrong, whatever. But we've also had some absolutely horrible 
referees where, where you're on the sidelines and you're shaking your head, but like, what are you doing? I remember one time, uh, and, and, and I'm also very competitive and, uh, I also, you know, very, uh, very emotional at times, but, uh, one where I, I completely lost it where one of my girls, she's, she's got the ball. She's on the attack. Um, the defender comes over and literally like two arms, like runs through or almost like a, a football tackle. The right. official, the official blows the whistle, which is all right. Good. Maybe a red card for her, but calls it on my girl. So I go to the official, but like, excuse me, sir, what, what's the call? And this was the explanation. And I kid you not your girl with the ball. It was her. It's her responsibility to get out of the way of the defender. Like, excuse me. So the defender can literally body check and throw my girl off the ball, not even come anywhere near the ball, throw her off the ball. And my girl gets a card or not a card. Sorry. My girl gets a penalty for, because she didn't avoid the defender. Are you kidding? I mean, Tony, I, I kid you not. One of my players literally had to grab me and carry me off the field. I was so livid like it's and it's refereeing like that where you, you, you look at your athlete and this was a young girl who was very new to the sport. She was an athlete, but was very new to the sport. I think it was, it was her first year playing and she kind of looked at me. She's like, coach, what did I, what did I do wrong? And I had to explain, like, listen, you, you did nothing wrong. You know, it's, it's unfortunately it's bad refereeing and it's, it's just, you, you get it like that where people don't realize when you have a bad referee on the field, it's, it's, it's terrible and it's well, bad. It's bad for the game. No, it is. And, you know, I, as a coach, I was the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I did, I do my year, uh, my, uh, of, uh, yelling at the referees. Most of them I know, and they know me, but when I, when I coach, you know, they coach, they are, they, they do their job as referees. And my job is to, you know, say something if, if, if I don't think it's right. I had a few years ago, I was coaching Stefano's team actually. And he, um, the referee on a, I had a guy that can actually kick the ball beyond midfield on goal kicks. Okay. Okay. I mean, he would bomb the ball. So we knew that. And I would tell the guys, go. There's no offside on goal kick. Yeah, exactly. This guy, offside. So I go, wait. I go, did you call? Uh, he goes, oh, yeah. So I said, what are you talking about? Like, there's, no, there's no offside. They go, there's three things that there's no offside on. Goal kicks, corner kicks, and throw-ins. Oh, no. So anyway, long story short, he called it. I, I, you know, because I knew the guy, I really didn't want to rip him at halftime. I go, can you guys go read a book or do something? And he did, he came back. He goes, "Uh, yeah, we were wrong. You know, I mean, I, I, we had, when I first started refereeing years ago, I referee, I won't, he shall remain nameless because he was a great guy. He was an old timer. And I remember the, the the game. We were refereeing at Tiff Farms, okay. 
and <laughs> he calls offside when the team was in their own half of the field. So the guy just destroyed him, the coach. So at halftime, he comes over and he's he goes, stands next to me. He goes, is he right about that? I go, yeah. I go, there's no, you can't be offside on your own half of the field. And, you know, I mean, I started laughing because like I said, he was an old timer, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, like there's good players, bad players, good coaches, bad coaches. And uh, there's some of us who are, you know, it's, uh, we have bad referees too. And unfortunately, it's not fair because, you know, in a critical situation, you want the referee to make the right call. And when they don't, and they could, they could decide the outcome of the game. And it's, you know, as an ex-player, I always wanted to, to decide the game on a field. You know, the best referee was the one that you didn't even know existed. And I wanted to be invisible because if I'm invisible, it means I'm doing a good job. Nobody's involved. Nobody's yelling or anything like that. And that's the way it should be. Um, what can I say? <laughs> like you said, not always not the case. And, uh, and I mean, Hey, I, I know I've, I've made mistakes. I'm sure back in my year when I refereed, I made mistakes. I, I, I'm not, you know, I've made mistakes as I coached. I've made mistakes as a player. Um, for me, it's always, and it's funny that you brought that story where the, the referee, uh, you know, at halftime admitted to making a mistake where nowadays it seems more and more referees, especially you get some of these younger guys that they're not only are they making bad calls, it, they just look at you. They're, they're so convinced that they're making the right call. They're so convinced that they're infallible that then they start, they start yelling at you, but like coach, that's the rule. But when you're sitting there as again, somebody who's been a part of the game since they've been, you know, five, six, seven years old, um, you know, for a fact that they're, that they're, not calling the game the way it's it's supposed to be called and it's so here's the here's the deal you got these younger referees who at the beginning they're very intimidated okay they're intimidated by the ref by the coaches then after they get a few years under their belt now it's the new sheriff in town so now you got a problem because now these guys they know it all and uh, you got problems as a, as a, as a coach, because you can't even look at them. Now, like anything else, a good referee is one that is, is going to try to defuse a situation. Oh, for sure. Some of these guys and some of these guys are throwing gasoline on a fire. Yes. Okay. Instead of defusing, they kind of escalate. And that's where you have the problems. As they get a little bit older, they they go the other way, and then they they kind of figure it all out. But there's a learning process, and I, I think we've all gone through that. So I guess we just have to give them a break because I'm I'm sure I was the same way. Uh, you know, now it's you become a little more patient, you become a little more analytical, you become a little more uh, like you almost kind of joke at sometimes. You know, you try to kind of have a, a dialogue to a point uh, to, to kind of loosen things up. But, uh, you know, there, there's a learning process for everybody. 
for sure. And uh, it, it's funny that you said the gasoline because you're you're absolutely right with um, I mean, even now when I when I coach, you know, I you, you know, as anybody, you know, after a couple of years, you pretty much know all the referees. You pretty much know the referee you're going to have. You can see on the right. on the assignment. All right. I've got this referee for this game, this referee for that game. You, you've run into them. Um, most of the referees, you know, uh, if I'm not friends with, you know, I, I've joked around or, or, you know, we have, we have the mutual respect on the field. Um, and you know, they make a mistake and usually you, you'll get the referee that'll come by. Sorry, coach. I missed that call. Or, you know, you'll, you'll give them the business a little bit, you know, as a coach. And then, you know, at halftime or at the end of the game, like, Hey, sorry, I got a little, uh, sorry, I got a little heated on that, that call or that no call or whatever over there. But um, it is it it it's funny because it does seem like more and more where you get that you get that certain referee where whether it's old or young. And there are some there are some veteran referees who have been doing it 10, 15, 20 years where, again, they come in, like you said, they're they're the sheriff. They're they're the law. They're going to do it this way. And instead of trying to defuse it, they 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 throw gasoline on the fire. In fact, we had a one game. Uh, against Niagara Falls this past year, where uh, if there's one thing that sets me off, it's um, I don't like my goaltender being run, and I don't know I don't know many coaches that like their goaltender being run. And yeah. uh, you know, this was early in the game. My goaltender was was run. She uh, she clearly had the ball in their hand. I don't know, you know, couldn't see it from my advantage point. Don't know if the girl meant to do it or not, but she made pretty hard contact with my goaltender when flying. Um, all right. You know, yelled about it. Could it be an honest mistake? Whatever. Let it go. It happens again. This time, the same girl goes slide tackling cleat up into oh. my goaltender, you know, and she goes down hurt. She's grabbing her hand, you know, ended up at, at that point. I'm thinking my goaltender's hand is broken. She's, right. you know, but it happens to be all right. Go over to the, but like, sir, are you kidding me? This is twice in one game that my goaltender has been run, not so much as a penalty. And his response again was, sir, if you say one more word, I'm going to give you a card. Yeah. See, that's, you wrong. know, that at that point, that's setting me off. You know, all he could have said was, you know, Hey coach, I didn't see it. I'll make sure to keep my eyes open for it next time. Or, you know, the first time was whatever he could have said something, but the fact that you're going to say, Coach, you say one more word to me, I'm going to give you a card. But, like, that's that's not the way to handle that situation. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking out for my players. I get it. You and your partner can't see everything. I understand as an official you're going to miss certain things. But you've got to take responsibility for that as well. And and, and that's he where could, he, <laughs> he could he could very simply have said exactly that. Listen, from my angle, I could not see it. Let me go ask my partner because, you know, in a high school, there's two, you know, they're, they're, they use the two-man system until the sectionals. Then they have a three-man system. In college, all the games are a three-man system. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to even if he knew, he just he could have said, listen, I didn't see it, but I'm going to go talk to my partner and see what he says and stuff like that, as, a, as opposed to doing it that way because now you're already – you know, teed off because your, your girl got hit 
Oh, for sure. And then to do that, now listen, okay, so now we're, we're going to punish me for opening up my mouth. So that, that's, that is the problem. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can see, you know, and I, I've been on both sides, you know, I've been a coach and now a referee and I could see that I would have the same type of reaction um, because, you know, I don't want my, I'm looking out for my, uh, yeah. for my players, you know, Absolutely. so yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely uh, not the way to handle that situation. No. And unfortunately, uh, you get a lot of referees where um, some of them, you know, I, I don't want to say are too old. But like you mentioned in the, in the earlier in the program, you know, if uh, if you can't if you can't keep up with the with the gameplay, you shouldn't be refereeing anymore. There are certain high school referees that uh, don't have that same philosophy where uh, they are, you know, not only not not only are they not uh, 10 yards off the play, but they're 20, 30 yards off the play or they we, we had a referee before who literally would move from the one edge of the circle to the other edge of the circle. That was about as far as he moved the entire game, no matter what side of the field. He was on. Well, yeah, and that that that's problematic too because uh, what happens is that when I played and when I coached, the only thing I wanted from the referee was to to give as much of an effort as me as a coach and the kids as players were giving. Yes. Okay. And unfortunately, that's not the case with some. Okay. And, you know, again, I, I shouldn't be saying this because I'm a referee and I know some of these guys, but there are some people that are there for one reason, one reason only because they're getting paid. Okay. Frankly, that's the case. And as long as they got the game, they're going to get paid regardless of whether they hustled or not. Okay. When I first started refereeing back in 84, I'll never forget the story at halftime one of the older referees told me you're running too much. He told me right out. And I didn't know what he meant by that. And over the course of time, I figured out what he was saying because he wasn't running at all. And I was going up and down covering three quarters of the field with the two man system. Okay. And he told me right out. I'll never forget that. It was like one of my first game. He goes, you're running too much. Basically, you're showing me off because I'm not even moving. You're making me look and bad. That's not fair. That's not fair to the coaches. It's not coach, uh, a referee uh, to the players and to the other referees who really go out there and put in. Most of them, most of them really go out there and do the best they can. If they make a mistake, it's because we're all humans, but not they don't do it because, you know, they they don't care. But some of these guys, you know, there are a few of those. Absolutely. I'll probably get in trouble for that. <laughs> uh, now, with, without naming any names, um, whether it's been at the high school, the college level, have you ever had to, uh, as, as a veteran referee, have you ever had to uh, kind of take a young guy uh, off to the side, and, and it, whether it's at halftime or, or even after the game, you know, take maybe a younger official off to the side and be like, hey, listen, um, you know, you need to work on a few things. You need to uh, yeah. you, you almost, I, almost mentor them. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, uh, I have, uh, I mean, I get along with everybody and I, I like to have fun, you know, because at the end of the day, if you're not having fun, then you shouldn't be out there. So 
before the game, I goof around. I try to loosen the guys up because some of these games are very competitive and they're very good teams. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have a little bit of nerves. So I try to keep everybody, especially the younger ones, I try to, to loosen them up before the game. Once the game starts, then we're all business. We're, we're serious. But, you know, they ask. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, we in college, we do have uh, the ability to talk to each other with the, you know, with the headset. Uh, we communicate during the game. So we, we can tell them, hey, watch this, watch that, especially with the younger guys. So I always try to be as helpful as possible because I know over the years I've had a lot of people that have helped me out. And I think it's only right that you kind of pay it forward to some of these other young kids. And some of these younger guys that like to, they like to referee with me because I, I make them laugh. And, you know, once the game is over, we know we did a good job. And uh, so I always do. I mean, there's been times during a game where I overruled a guy because I knew he made a mistake. And that's the other problem because, you know, if, if you blow the whistle and I'm there on the other side and I know that was a mistake, they're not going to go over there and say, hey, let's talk about this because I think you might have made a mistake. Uh, and even though I knew that there was the wrong call and we went with the call he made and it penalized the team that should not have been penalized. Uh, a few years ago, I had a game and there were two pass backs to the goalie. And neither one called. of them. No, they were not uh, like um, it wasn't deliberate. So the first one, he, uh. the kid went to kick and he kicked it sideways and it went to the goalie and he calls it. And I said, I, I went over there and I, I said, Are you sure? 100% sure I was up on the opposite side? He goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. So the coach was going nuts. All right. And then like 10 minutes later, the same thing happens. So now I go over there. I go, what do you got? He goes, oh, pass back to the goalie. He goes, I go, are you sure? He goes, yeah. I go, no, I don't think so. I go, it was, I go, there was no way that he passed it back. It was totally unintentional. He goes, are you sure? I go, yeah. He goes, well, what are you going to do about it? I go, indirect coming out. Because it would have, it was like right on top of the 18. The game was like one nothing at that time. They score because he made that mistake, and now the guy is gonna is gonna blow a gasket on the sideline. So you have to do that. And I think the the communication is the biggest thing with the referees. You know, the more you communicate, there's nothing. I always say when I, if I'm like, we work the three man system, we all rotate. You know, so sometimes you got the lines, sometimes you're in the middle. The one thing I always say, I go, I don't really care how it looks. The important thing is that we get it right. Absolutely. So if I have to come over there and ask you, hey, what do you have? It might like look bad to the coaches or whomever. But at the end of the day, we're going to do that. And we put our minds together and we're going to come up with the right call. And that's the most important thing that the call is made. And that we're 100% sure that what we called is the right call. Absolutely. And, and, and like you said before, the best referees are ones that you don't notice are ones that don't make an impact in the game one way or another. Um, and it's for me, I, I, I feel the same way, especially as a coach 
Um, and I can, I mean, I don't care how good of a referees uh, you have. You're going to have referees that are going to make mistakes, whether they miss a call, make a call. My thing is always, listen, if it's, if, if you call it one way, call it for both teams. Don't be biased towards one. Don't be harsh on one and easy going on the other. That was always my, that was always my judge of a, of a good referee that if you can call it consistently, even if it's consistently bad, that's fine. If you can call it consistent, good or bad for both teams, then, you know, you're, you're at least, um, an above average referee. Uh, for me too, it, it always, I found it comical where it's a foul for one team, but it's not a foul for another team. Well, well, and you know, one of the things that, uh, you hear a lot of, uh, coaches, if you make a call, you know, the, the, the word and you, and you just used it, be consistent, be consistent. So you have to, you know, you have to have the same, uh, you know, you, you have to judge them the same way you can't, you know, if I make a call over here and then it happens over there, you know, why is it a foul there and not there? So the coaches want consistency, especially the college coaches. You, you'll hear that word a million times. Be consistent, you know, and, and that's all they want. So you can't, again, I've been fortunate to, to be on all sides. You know, I, I played and I, I, I coached and I referee. And I know exactly what it is. And I think that's helped me uh, refereeing greatly because I sometimes I put myself in the, in the head of, uh, as a player and as a referee, as a coach. And, you know, you try to make those calls again, based on what you see, but you know, a foul is not a foul every time. Like now, if the ball hits the hand, it's not always a handball, but of course the fans are yelling, Oh, handball. You know, you know, does the hand play the ball or does the ball play the hand? And and uh, how far, you know, where was his hand at the time that the ball hit him? They, you know, were, you know, how close was it? You know, I mean, you, you're not Superman. If I'm like from here to, you know, two feet away and the guy blasts the ball. So those are the things that um, you have to take into account. And, you know, the fouls, just because, you know, the guy gets knocked down it doesn't mean that it's a foul, you know, Oh, a shoulder to shoulder. I go, okay, well, shoulder to shoulder is one thing. I always say to them, but if I can't see, if I'm refereeing and I see two guys going for the ball and one guy, the back of his numbers, the numbers on on his back disappear, the guy didn't hit him shoulder to shoulder. If that shoulder to shoulder, I should be able to see both sets of numbers. Right. If I, if the guy's numbers disappear, I only see one. It means he hit him from behind. Oh, for sure. So, so, you know, yeah, those are the things that, and again, from a referees, you know, experience, positioning, uh, learning to read the game. Now you can learn the game. You could see if you have two teams that play soccer, you pretty much can anticipate where the ball is going to go. And I, I have a pretty good feel of where to go next and kind of anticipate going there. You know, when you got two teams, that's all they do is play tennis. 
well, all bets are off because now you're going back and forth, back and forth. And that those are, those are the hard games to, to referee. Those are really difficult. Those are the treadmill games. Those are the games where you better be, you better have good cardio or you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble. No, the other games are, they're, they're, they're great because you just kind of, you know, they're calm. It's not like a fire drill. Everyone, every time you get the ball, you're, I mean, okay, here I go. I'm going. So, but those are hard to, you know, and like I said, the kids are good today and uh, they, they play fast. They play with, you know, aggressive and with skill. So you have to be in shape as well. And you have to know where to be and how to diffuse uh, situations that we talked about. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's uh, the, the point that you mentioned about uh, being a referee who's played the game before as both as uh, not only just a, a player, but as a coach, I think it's uh, it should almost be a requirement for a, for a referee. I, I hate to say that because as a, as a former player, um, you do know, I mean, even as a coach, as a former player, you know exactly where the play should be lining up, how it's going to look, how they're going to respond to what you're doing. Um, and it, it helps you more with strategy. And it's, it's funny that you said as a, as a former player and coach, you know, basically where these teams are going to play the ball. And as an official, where you should be lined up, where the play is coming, where the pass is going to go, where, where all the action is going to end up and it can, it can help you, uh, where you're not caught out of position. So, uh, it's, for me, it, it, it should almost be a requirement as an official. Listen, you were either a coach or a player, so you have a better and, – and typically, I, I feel like – and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like once you get to the college level of, of refereeing, I feel like most of those guys are probably uh, former players or former coaches. But, most um, of Yeah, and it, it, at the high school level, you can always kind of tell the guys, like you said, who are just doing it for the paycheck and uh, – they know they they might know the rules of soccer, but they don't know the flow of the game. They don't well, know. The speed yeah, of the you can't you can't. It's it's like anything, <laughs> you know, you go to college, but the most learning you're going to do is when you actually get on a, a job, you, you learn theories in college. But then when you get to the job is where you learn everything. And the same thing, you know, and referees, you know, we have classes, we have uh uh, conferences, seminars, uh, and so on and so forth. But until you actually get on a field, when the bullets are really flying, that you're going to learn. And you you can't learn that during you know one game or one season. It takes a while. So it's uh, it's you, you have to be there and you have to do games and you have to you know and not just a metal referee. Because I tell you what, the game on the sidelines, the sideline assistant referees, that is just as crucial. And it's sometimes even more difficult. And it's like physically demanding because you're running up and down, up and down, where sometimes when you're in a in the middle, you can sometimes rest. Mm-hmm. Can't do that because if you're not with the play, guess what? They might be offside and you're, you just missed it. You yep. just missed it. So it's... Uh, it's, uh, but it's good. I, I, I totally enjoy it. So I'm still, I'm still enjoying it, Larry. No, that's fantastic. Um, do you remember one of like, what was, uh, what was one of your like biggest games, uh, whether it's been at the high school, college level sectionals playoffs, like, do you remember like one of your, uh, 
whether it's been a big stadium, like one of your biggest uh, tournaments or like biggest, biggest uh, event as an official? Um, years ago, I had one in Syracuse that was pretty good. Um, I mean, that was a few years ago that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans, and, and that that's kind of fun. Even some of these other games, when you go to Pennsylvania and you got some of these schools and when you get toward the, 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 the playoffs, uh, I, I can't remember one specific game, uh, but you know, there, there's been a few and, and you kind of, when you walk out there and, and you know, and you, you watch the games and the pros, you walk out there, you, you lead the teams and, you know, the national anthem and, and it kind of gets your blood uh, circulating. And, you know, now you're part of, uh, of something, they have cameras, you know, they have the TVs, uh, you know, if you go to most of these games are being televised on like ESPN two, they, they, you know, so uh, I tell you what the, uh, one of the funnest times I had was uh, when they had uh, the, uh, the New York state high school championships down in Middletown. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the season, they have all the, you know, they have the section the sectional, the regionals, and then they have the, the championships down in uh, Middletown, New York. And um, I've been fortunate to go there four times each year, each region uh, chooses a crew and they go down you, to Middletown, New York. And for the entire weekend, you get there on Friday, you know, they put you up in a hotel and they give you a badge and the whole thing. And those games, especially some of the teams from downstate from New York city, they're very good. And they have a huge following. And Middletown, that they have real nice stadium, and those sidelines are, they're full, they're full, and uh, it's really exciting. It's it's uh, like I said, I was there right before COVID. I was the last time I was there, but I've been there four times. I've I've been lucky to to have been asked to go there, and uh, those were some of the best games that uh, I actually had. That they're enjoyable. That's fantastic. Um, and it's, uh, as, as a coach, um, well, actually, what do you, what do you prefer? Like if you, if, if, if everything aside, what do you prefer? Do you prefer, and, and, and I'm talking everything aside, like outside noise, parents outside, whatever, where it's just, just the coaching or just the refereeing. If you had to choose just one, what would, uh, what would you choose to, to either coach or referee? Yeah. And, and you didn't have to worry about the outside nonsense. You didn't have to worry about um, no. all that other stuff. I mean, I, honestly, I think that uh, coaching would be the thing because to me, uh, uh, you know, coaching was uh, being an extension of, of being a player. And, you know, you could, uh, you know, when you're out there as a referee, if somebody scores, you're, you're, you don't care who scores. Uh, when my team scores, I got just excited as the players. And, you know, the, the, my, my players used to always, because I was, when I coached, I was very intense. I was the same way as a player and it kind of carried over to the sideline. So I was always, uh, you know, when we won, I was excited when we lost, I took it just as bad as, uh, the players, but I think the, the excitement of being a coach is uh, I I'll take that over refereeing. 
Absolutely. And it's funny you br- you brought up the the excitement, the passion. Um, I mean, I, for me, I was I was a very passionate player, very emotional player. I I, I left I left it all on the field, uh, win or lose. Um, I remember especially the bus rides. There were bus rides after after hard losses where we didn't uh, we wouldn't speak. You know, it would it would be dead silent. Um, as a coach, I'm very much the same way. Um, almost. It, I, I almost get more excited as a coach when my team scores or when my team wins, especially a particularly close game, because you just, you feel almost as a coach, you feel the the weight of the 18 players on your team. You feel like if, if you make a mistake, um, whether you put them in the wrong positions, whether you put them in the wrong formation, whether you don't make an adjustment as quickly as you, as you needed to, or as you should have, that you let your entire, you let all the players down. Whereas as a player, if you're having a particularly bad game or you can, you can kind of lean on some of your teammates. Um, but it's as a coach, everybody's leaning on you. So it, for me, it, it was, it was more, you, you, you get that excitement and, and there's been times, I mean, some of my players, you know, I'll, I'll jump up for joy a little bit more than they do when they score. And it's, well, yeah. it's awesome. As a coach, obviously you prepare the team before the game, you know, during the week for for practice and and stuff like that. And once the game starts, you it's in their hand. But when things don't go well, they're looking to you for answers. So sometimes, even if you knew something wasn't going to work, that this team was just way better than your team you try to come up with something just to give them like some hope, even though you knew deep down inside as a coach, nothing is going to work today. But, you know, you did that. You did that as a coach because they were looking to you for an answer. Uh, So, I mean, I was always, were you, were you at park when uh, Dave Grant was there? Yes, he was. uh, I was there. I think I, I I was there the last two years he was there. Okay, he was, so yeah, I he was, was there the last two years. I was the assistant coach, and the one year yeah. we won everything. And Dave, he was unbelievable as far as um, organized. Just he had the practices, the schedule. I mean, this guy you you could write a book, and he was so well organized. There was, and during the game he was very calm. And then there was me, <laughs> you know, I and, remember those years. Yeah. And, and he, it, but he, he liked that because, you know, the, the players would come to, to me and I would kind of try to motivate them. And he was very stoic, very professional. And, uh, we, you know, the two of us worked well, you know, because he was, you know, we were not the same person, but it worked. And that team, we did very well. And we, we won the, we won everything that one year. Yeah, and so, I think that was the year where where we won it all as the girls, and you guys won it all as the boys. Yeah. Either that, either that, or it was the girls won it one year, and then the boys won it next yeah. year. But um, yeah, it was always it was always interesting to see the dynamic between you two. Um, <laughs> now, as a player, as a player, did you prefer the uh, the fiery coach, or did you prefer more the the stoic coach when you were a player? No, no I mean, I I was always if I wasn't doing something. See, and that's the thing as a coach. A coach, you have different personalities. 
So as a coach, you have to figure out the one that you could uh, yell at to motivate them and the other one that needs to be talked quietly. Me, I didn't care. If I was doing something wrong, I wanted to hear my coach tell me, you know, hey, do it this way. I didn't, I didn't really mind. But there were other people that if you raise your voice at, you lost that guy for the rest of the game. So I was, I, I wanted the coach to, to, to motivate me and motivate. And sometimes I had, co I, I, I played at Buffalo state college for, uh, for Fred Hartrick, who was in a hall of fame and as a coach and he had like Randy Smith, uh, Gene Tassie, Cal Kern, they were all Americans and I played for him and he was the type of guy that he got on you if, if he had to but I was totally fine with that. I didn't mind that at all because I wanted him to, to, to get on. And I, I think in some cases I learned a lot from him. And, you know, I also learned that there were some kids that you could not, uh, you had to coach differently in terms of, uh, you know, how do you approach them if, he, if they did something wrong, because not everybody could take, you know, the guy yelling at you. But to me, for me, it wasn't a problem. I, I didn't mind that. Yeah. And it's almost like, uh, especially nowadays, a, a good coach has to be uh, almost like a, a psychologist. You know, he, you have to know your players. You have to know uh, which players, like you said, which players you can give a nice little kick in the butt to, which players you have to be a little bit more finesse with, which players you kind of have to let them them do their thing. Um, and it's, uh, you, you, you've got to be, you've got to be a little bit of, of everything. Otherwise you can, you can lose that room in that locker room rather quickly. Well, can, can I just be totally honest with you? I would mm -hmm. never want to high, coach high school today. I would <laughs> like never want to do that. And I'll tell you exactly why because of the parents. Yep. Okay. And you know, that's a fact because back in the days, if, if I did something wrong on a field and the coach yelled at me, that was it. I didn't go home and cry to my mom and dad. That doesn't happen anymore. Now you have the parents there who are involved. And now you have to be, you got to be really careful the way you operate as a coach. And I don't think I could coach under those circumstances in high school anymore. Back when I did it, it wasn't like that. Even in college, these coaches have to be really, they got to walk a fine line because sure. the way society is today. And that's a problem. I, I agree. And it's uh, thankfully for the most part, I mean, I've been coaching uh, since I think 2002, 2003 was my first year uh, at park. Um, uh, and it's, it's definitely changed times. Thankfully for the most part, I've had teams with, with pretty good parents um, but don't get me wrong, whether it's been uh, at the different schools that I've taught at uh, or coached at, there's been there's been times where you get that parent where, oh, well, how come my kid only got 20 minutes of playing time? How come my kid only got this? Why is my kid being pulled off the field uh, for overtime? Why is my kid being why is my kid uh, only getting this? Why is my kid? And it's. You know, as a coach, unfortunately, you've got to learn how to deal with those parents. But at the same time, 
you get some of those parents that no matter how much you deal with them, no matter what explanation you give them, they're never going to be happy. They're never going to be appeased. And they're always going to look at you like you're doing something wrong. Like you said, because their kid goes home and complains, well, coach doesn't do this. Coach doesn't do this. Coach won't let me do this. And it's, it, it can be, it can like, I, like I always tell people before I got into coaching, I was six foot three and had a full head of hair and yeah. look at me now. I, um, uh, I was coaching on a junior team. I don't know, 15, 16 years old. I don't, I don't even remember. We were playing. Um, and the parent, the, this kid didn't show up for practice for two weeks. So we were playing a game, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and this was years ago. We were playing at uh, Knoxville in East Aurora. After the game, the parent comes up to me, and I go, oh, here we go. And um, she goes, oh, my Johnny only played 20 minutes. Oh, why did my Johnny play only 20 minutes? I go, he played t- 20 minutes? He goes, yeah, and she showed me a stopwatch. <laughs> okay. He goes, I go, is there how many minutes I played him? And this is me because I'm, a, you know, I go, he played 10 minutes too long. I swear to God, I told him that. I go, he played 10 minutes too long. I go, he hasn't shown up for two weeks. And, and, and you want me to play him? I go, he's not. Once he starts showing up for practice, he'll play more. But until then, I decide how long he plays. We play in a tournament in Hamburg. Same thing. We win the tournament. We crushed every team and uh, everybody got pretty much an equal amount of playing time because we were killing teams, eight, nothing. And so after the game, and, and Stefano was on a team, actually, I, uh, everybody's walking away, going to their cars. We, we got our trophies. We won the championship. And I see this parent coming toward me, actually the same parent. Now it's the dad. He goes, you know what? If uh, things are going to go like this, for the rest of the year, we're, we're going to have a problem. I go, actually, I'm not going to have a problem. I go, you're going to have a problem because your son doesn't show up for practice. He will not. I repeat, he will not get the same playing time. And uh, I go, but if you don't like it, I go, here's his pass. And you can go to another team. And like two days later, I got a phone call from the president of the club. He goes, Hey, do you mind? releasing him i go no i've been waiting for this he's gone yeah and it wasn't because of the kid it was because of the parents but you know again today i don't envy the coaches because they have a lot on their hands with um with the kids and with the parents no it's uh it's definitely it's definitely rough like i said for the most part i've 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 been lucky especially the last couple years at ken east i've been really lucky where i've had a great group of parents where they get it you know, they get it. And, and they're very enthusiastic parents. They want the best for their kids, but they, they get it. They understand that, uh, you know, playing time is earned. They understand that, uh, you know, us coaches don't have it out for their child. You know, they're going to get as much playing time as possible. And, uh, it's funny on, um, my very first year of coaching and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. It was, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, the Reese's Andrea Reese, yeah, I think uh, I remember the name. I was going to say, I think she was a little, I think she was two or three years older than uh, than Antonio. But anyways, yeah. um, 
first week of practice, you know, it, it was my very first year of coaching. Uh, was the head coach running for uh, for Parks Varsity Girls, and the first week, I mean, I ran them hard. I mean, I it, it, I was under the philosophy where I wanted to see which ones, and I and I still do this to a certain extent now. Where the first week I make it tough. I want to see which kids are going to quit. I want to see which kids are going to stay with it, and I want to see talent. Um, and Andrea's, uh, mother, I got a call. I had actually, I, I had to call Andrea's home cause her physical was getting ready to expire in, in two or three weeks. So just wanted to give her a heads up on that. And she gave me the, um, you know, coach, um, I just wanted to let you know, um, you know, uh, Andrea has been coming home from practice, uh, tired, this and that. And in my mind, I'm instantly thinking, uh, Oh, here we go. But she totally, she flipped it. She's like, coach, I want to thank you so much. She's like, the kids love it. She's like, the kids are having fun. She's like, don't get me wrong. They're tired. They're exhausted. Like Andrea's been in bed every day this week at like six o'clock because she's been exhausted. But compared to the coaches that they, and I think Andrea was a junior at the time. She's like, compared to the coaches that they've had the last two or three years, where they've done little to no running or little to no exercise. She's like, please, please don't think you're being too hard on the kids. Please keep it up. And for me, I was like, I mean, that was, that was a breath of fresh air because as a young coach, you know, you, you're, you're warned, you know, you get, you get from some of the older and I, I, I had some of older coaches that I've looked at to like, listen, be wary of this, be wary of that. But uh, for me, it was, it was refreshing to kind of hear this. But well, yeah, um, you want that. You you want you want these kids to, you know, you you know, a coach, whether you're coaching any sport, you don't want them you to become a babysitting service. Okay. So if they come there, it's for the purpose of you know exercising. There's it's a team concept, a camaraderie, you you learn how to uh play with one another. I mean, that's a good thing. You know, it's not like some of these parents think that you can just, you know, bring them there. And for a couple of hours, like they're out of my hair. Well, I'm not running a babysitting service and that's the problem, but I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been coaching uh, in high school for a while, but I've been, you know, refereeing. I, I, I see some of the things and some of these coaches are that uh, they're very aware not to cross the line because you don't want to, you know, have issues and, and, you know, nobody wants that. So. Oh no, for sure. All right. Well, Tony, we're going to wrap things up with our uh, hot seat questions, our five questions. Uh, So what are these, these are, these are questions, uh, five questions on any topic could be soccer, could be sports, could be anything else. Um, In fact, what we've been doing the last couple of times, if our guests, have a question, they can jump right in with a hot seat question of their own. Okay. All right. So the first question I'm going to give you um, now, as an athlete, if you had to choose one other sport besides soccer, one other sport in your athletic prime that you could have played, what would it have been? Again, it, it, and it will go as far as the position too. So what, what sport and what position other than soccer would you would you play now if you were in your athletic prime? Uh, hockey. Ah, okay. Any offense, defense, winger, goalie? No, no, forward, forward. You know nice. my my hockey prowess. Okay. 
I was going to say, yeah. if, if you weren't, the, weren't a, a, a soccer player, you could have been a Buffalo Sabre. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. now, hockey, I, I enjoy hockey. Okay. I'm too small for football, so that's the, the, the best I can do. Hey, you could have been a kicker. You could have been a kicker. <laughs> no, but I'd, I'd probably say hockey, too. Um, I'd probably be more of a, more either the center or uh, one of the wingers. Um, I, and, and I loved hockey. And in fact, I remember some of my, my favorite times I I'm horrible on skates. So uh, I always loved playing back in the old days, especially at sportsplex when they had the boarded fields and you would play the five on five soccer or six on six with a goalie. Um, It, to me, it was sometimes I loved those games more because it almost felt like you were playing hockey but with a soccer ball i mean it was yeah. it was awesome do you remember some of the games we played at the when did you play on uh floor hockey at park oh yeah liz i was i was the the starter of those leagues absolutely those were fun i i, I love those games and actually i think that the last two three years my team won the championship not to brag i was gonna say i remember i remember <laughs> one of those years um, yeah. No, those games were, those games were fun. In fact, I think, wasn't it? Uh, uh, Cause I know the kids usually did the draft and they were, they would draft the, the teachers. Uh, yeah. Was that the year that uh, Antonio drafted you on his team? I think. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I was that he, he kind of had to draft you on your team. He was kind of stuck there, but no, those were uh, fun I mean, games. Well, I, I told him, I go, it's either that or you're going to have to, I don't know how you're going to get to school. <laughs> uh, but I go, but now that was a lot of fun. Actually, I have a video. I have a video that I have to transfer from because uh, it's on you know, the little cassettes. Yeah. To put a, a CD from one of the, uh, uh, the the assembly when we had the the teachers. Oh, the 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 teachers versus the I kids. Have, yeah, I have. They recorded. They they videotaped it, and I actually have it. And I I've been meaning to transfer it to a CD so I could watch it. Oh, you might have been, been in there. I was going to say, Tony, you got to let me know when you watch yeah, that, or, or, or you got to send me the film that that would be fantastic. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. So question number two. Uh, all right. So question number two, we'll go food. Um, you know, big Italian family. So I'm sure big gatherings, whether it's Easter, Christmas, um, what's the what's your favorite uh, home cooked dessert? So like you, you get together, whether it's Christmas, Easter, uh, with the family's birthdays, what's your favorite, uh, just homemade, uh, dessert, uh, tiramisu. Ah, very nice. Very nice. That was an easy one. You, you said yeah, yeah. that with, without any, yeah, now, without now, any hesitation. who, who was the best, uh, who was the best in the family to make it? Like who made, who made the best? Um, uh, let's see. Well, uh, Valerie did. Okay. <laughs> and she, she was always very good at it. Yeah. She is that she still makes it good, but yeah, she did. No question. Nice for me. Uh, I mean, I, I love tiramisu as well, but I, I got to go cannoli. My grandmother, right. my grandmother, my nonna used to make the best cannolis, uh, just a little bit on the sweeter side, but, oh, they were outstanding. So that's, uh, that's my go-to, uh, dessert yeah. anytime. Uh, yeah, either one, you can't go wrong with either one. No, and and <laughs> and, and this might be me biased, but I'm telling you, uh, there's there's nothing better than just uh, a home cooked Italian meal, Italian gathering. I don't know how it was with you, but we'd get the aunts and uncles, the cousins, 
and uh, there'd always be the <laughs> we we always, there would always be the family debate of the year, and it would be somebody that would set something off. Usually, myself or my older cousin Frank, we'd we'd go in knowing like we just we we'd be the ones that would stir the pot. We'd be like, "Hey, what do you think of blah blah blah?" And next thing you know, it's it we'd just sit back and listen to all the arguing while everybody else eats food. There's always too many foods, too much food, too much arguing, and a lot of uh, a lot of wine flowing. Oh well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, feel free to, to jump in with any question if you come to mind. All right. Um, let's see. Question three. Um, uh, are you are you a big uh, like Netflix or uh, streaming guy or 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 TV guy? Uh, I mean. I mean, uh, TV, not I'm more of a music guy than TV guy. All right. So we'll keep it. We'll keep it uh, with music related than with TV. Um, if you could see any live show right now, and it, it, it doesn't matter if the band is still performing or still not any band. Like if you could set it up or you could see it right now, a live performance, what would it be? I mean, I would have loved to have seen, uh, honestly, the Beatles. I would have loved to have seen a concert like uh, Elvis Presley. Uh, something like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What about you? Uh, for what, me? What you... Well, let's see. I'm going, I'm going Frank Sinatra. I would have loved to see, I would have loved to see a, a Frank Sinatra concert uh, back in the day. Um, you know, the kids always, the kids still rip on me. I, I'll still wear my fedora when I'm coaching um, and and they'll, you know, They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll rip on me for that. But I was always a huge Sinatra fan and uh, definitely a little before my time, but uh, I would have loved to see a Sinatra concert. Yeah. That would have been good too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot uh, as far as music uh, acts that, uh, you know, you couldn't go wrong by, by, you know, you could say a whole bunch of different names, but. Oh, for sure. And it's, uh, it, it, and this might be, uh, you know, me being the old man, but uh, I think music was way better back in the day as opposed to now where it's all just, it's not even singing. It's just uh, done in the studios. No, nah, I mean, there, there's no comparison. There's, there's no comparison to the music from before to, to what is now. Even, even, you know, I play Italian music on a radio and the music from today to what, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, there, there's no comparison. Yeah, you actually had to have talent back then as opposed to now you just get in the studios and you can do the auto-tune or the this and the that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, they, they make uh, bad singers sound great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's see. Question number four. All, All right. right. Uh, favorite, uh, favorite adult beverage? Favorite adult beverage for me, it's uh, and I've mentioned this before. It's an amaretto and Coke. Um, I love it. It 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 almost it almost makes it taste like a little bit of a cherry Coke. Uh, it's a it's a nice lighter drink. Um, it's one where you can kind of just sip and just relax. Uh, for me, it's an it's an amaretto and Coke. That would be All my right, favorite. Well, I, I could, you know I mean either obviously wine, but something like uh, Aperol Spritz with uh, Spritz would be good. Okay. So again, yeah. a little bit more on the sweeter side. Yeah. I was going to say those were, yeah. those were always my drinks. Like I was never, I was never a big scotch guy. I didn't, I didn't like the drinks where it, 
where it burned going down. But like, I, I, I don't need that. I don't need that. You know, I just like to just, you know, have one or two, just sip, relax, and just, yeah. that's all, that's all it should be. Yeah, exactly. All right. And we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. Do, do you have one or do you want me to wrap up with a fifth one here? No, go ahead. Nice. Go ahead. All right. So fifth one, we'll, we'll go back to soccer. Favorite, okay. favorite international player, international soccer player of all time. Who's your, who's your favorite? Who's your, your idol? Not necessarily idol, but just your favorite of all time. Uh, I know well, there's I, so many to choose from. It's, it's, it's such a tough I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, Paolo Maldini. Uh, okay. Maldini is the guy that played for AC Milan since he was 16 years old. He retired when he was close to 40. Uh, he was just a, I mean, if you look, uh, you know, like best defenders in the world, he'll come up. He was just a clean player, good player, scored goals when, you know, but he was just a, a classy player. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. It's a tough because there's a lot of players, but I always, uh, I loved. Uh, and when he came in, he, he, he started as a left, uh, left defender. And that's what I played. Uh, and then as time went on, he moved to the middle. But uh, definitely, I think uh, Paolo Maldini would be the one. Beautiful. Um, How about yours, Larry? For me, I'm going, uh, I'm going with Pele. This is going to be, uh, this will be a little generic. But I, I thought, uh, I mean, he was, a, you know, a little bit before, before my time. You know, I, uh, during playing time, I did see, you know, videos and, and watch him play with Brazil. But just just what I've not only was he in my eyes one of the world's greatest players uh, growing up as a kid, but just especially later in his in his career and even now the the fact that he's helped uh, grow the game, especially in the United States. You know when he came over and played in the old old MLS um, and and really helped grow the game, helped develop it. Was was a, a an ambassador for the game even to this day. I saw him play. I saw him play in Rochester. Did you really? New York Cosmos. He actually scored. And I'll never forget the goal he scored. It was off a corner kick. Um, uh, Rochester Lancers, their goal, uh, their center, center back, his name was George Lempley. He was like 6'4", huge, tall guy, off a corner kick. Pele went over him and scored on a head ball. And that was at Hollander, Hollander Stadium in Rochester. I saw Pele play. That's yeah. awesome. No, he was just, for me, especially as a little kid, I remember I, one of my first little things, I had like a little flip book of Pele where, where it was, uh, you know, you'd read the stories in there, but then you did the flip book and it was him doing a bicycle kick um, and scoring a goal. It was, uh, he was just, you know, he was, he was the man. Back in the day, another another player, just to not to take up too much time, but uh, that uh, was an unbelievable player. And, and back in the days, he was like the second to Pele was Eusebio. Okay, so he was he was from Portugal. Yeah, and Eusebio, when the Buffalo Stallions were in town, and my brother played for them, they brought him here, and he played here a few games. And with Eusebio, I mean that guy was a world. He was like, again, there was Pele and then there's Eusebio. They used to call him the Black Panther. He was 
big, tall, fast, wicked shot. And then toward the end, he had knee problems. He had, you know, surgery. But he came to Buffalo and he played for a couple of weeks. So when my brother played with the Stallions, I would go there and I would practice with them and stuff. And after the game, we would go out. The nicest guy. And, you know, too bad that back then we didn't have cell phones. So I could have took pictures and I could have said, you know, this guy, I knew him. We used to go out to dinner. We used to go out to Mulligan's nightclub on Hurdle Avenue for the period he was here. He was the great, uh, great guy. And he was like, again, if when you talk about, you know, greatest soccer players, he's, he's in the top 10. And at, at one period, at one time, he was like, you know, the second to Pele. Oh, for sure. So it was exciting. Absolutely. Well, Tony, thank you for coming on so much. Um, let everybody know when, uh, when it, we can hear you on Italian gold one more time. Yeah, so we're uh, I'm on on every Sunday from ten until twelve noon. It's WEBR fourteen forty AM and WEBRradio.com. So every Sunday. Now, when is this? Uh, you know, you're gonna let me know so I can promote it as well. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna let you know. Um, episodes here come out on Thursdays. Um, I'll definitely give you the links to them. Yeah, give me to me. Absolutely. Um, and again, you guys can also follow us on Facebook and on um, Instagram at Stories from the Sidelines. Um, Tony, thanks again. We'll have to have you back on and share a few more stories about your coaching and refereeing days. Um, and as always, we'll see everybody next time on Stories from the Sidelines. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry.